November 19, 1992, and Chief Inspector Jose Negri has just arrived at the Gutierrez Lazaro residence alongside five other Madrid police officers. It's 2.40 a.m. and cold, and yet this strange family of seven is just waiting outside for them, huddled together under blankets. Upon arrival, the police knew little about what they were responding to. They knew the caller, Maximo Gutierrez Lazaro, seemed distressed about so-called paranormal events occurring in his home, that he felt his family was in danger. But surely, the police believed they would find a reasonable solution. Exhausted and weary-eyed, Maximo led the officers inside to his kitchen table, took a long, deep breath, and began telling these men about the supernatural events that had cursed his family for the past year and a half. Events that, quite possibly, led to the death of his daughter Estefania the previous July. He relayed to the officers a bizarre tale consisting of disembodied voices, furniture thrown by unseen hands, demonic shadow figures, a daughter whose mind, body, and soul had been tormented from the inside out by invisible dark forces, and a haunted bathroom. Certainly, these were not the kinds of things Madrid police typically took seriously. However, as they sat in that kitchen in the wee hours of the morning, they saw for themselves doors and cabinets open and close on their own. Loud banging on the walls seemed to manifest out of nowhere, and they watched with bewilderment as they saw a mysterious brown liquid appear on the kitchen tablecloth. Chief Inspector Jose Negri was so amazed by what he encountered that he wrote in the official report of the observable supernatural events occurring at the Gutierrez Lazaro home making it the first haunting in Spain's history to be documented in official police reports. But of course, this story comes with its own level of controversy as well. Was the supernatural to be blamed for the death of Estefania? Were restless spirits and evil entities really tormenting this poor family? And most importantly, was there a demon aptly named Crapula haunting their toilet? Ladies and gentlemen, this is The Vallecas Haunting. Hello, dear people, and welcome back to the PCC Podcast. I'm your host, Riley, and today we're talking about one of Spain's most intriguing paranormal stories. As I tell this story, you may recognize it as the inspiration for the 2017 Netflix horror movie, Veronica. If you haven't seen it, it's worth the watch, in my opinion. I haven't seen it since it first came out, but I do remember being like, okay, Netflix finally put out a good scary movie for once. And as usual, it's a little different from the true story, but that's why I'm here today, to tell you the true story behind Veronica. The last haunting case I did was all the way back in October with the possession of Roland Doe, the story that inspired The Exorcist. And at the heart of both stories is a legendary Ouija board. And I can't remember if I talked at all about my Ouija board experience in the Roland Doe episode, and I mean it's really lackluster, but just in case I didn't, like many teenage girls, my first and last experience with the Ouija board was at a slumber party. We were probably about 16 or 17 years old, and it was the night before prom, and we made a makeshift Ouija board with, you know, just a piece of paper, and we made um, a planchette out of just a glass that we found, a tiny glass, and so we started playing around and asking it questions. Now, I didn't ask the board any questions myself because I was not about to bring any demons home with me. And my mom, you know, was very, it was and is very religious and I was not about to um, conjure up any demons. So I was and am still skeptical about whether or not the Ouija board is anything more than just a fun slumber party game, but I also wasn't willing to take any chances. 
So anyway, there were three other girls there, and my friend's little brother was also there. And one of the girls asked the board if someone they knew was in heaven or hell. And the planchette immediately went to goodbye, and that was a little creepy, but nothing to write home about, I guess. At some point, when me and another friend were touching the planchette, we both kind of instinctively took our fingers off to kind of see if the other person was pushing it around. And the planchette did continue to move on its own, okay? So no one was touching this. The planchette was moving on its own. And as it's moving around on its own, it started counting upwards from one. So above the letters on a Ouija board, there's also the numbers one through nine. And, you know, there's hello at the top and goodbye at the bottom. And me and the other girl were getting bad vibes from this. The way it was just slowly moving from one to two to three to four. And it was getting closer to the end of the board when we both agreed we should just say goodbye. Something didn't feel right about this and we needed to stop. So we both grabbed onto the planchette, pulled it towards goodbye. And since it was the spooky time of 3 a.m., we decided to stop playing because everyone knows 3 a.m. is when all the demons come out. Nothing supernatural happened, but after we were still kind of intrigued and started reading paranormal stories on the computer, before we all had Reddit at our fingertips and everyone had a smartphone, you would just go on the computer. And one of the things we found was that if the board starts counting like that, it apparently means something is trying to get out. So we were a little spooked by that, and I do wonder what would have happened if we would have kept playing. I also had a friend in high school who played with a Ouija board and he was playing by himself, I think, but he said he kept having really bad nightmares and just felt like something was around him all the time. So like a dummy, he decided to burn his Ouija board, which is one of the biggest no-nos when it comes to playing with the board. But I remember him showing us a picture. So he took a picture of the board while it was burning and it was on a flip phone, so it was not great quality, okay? But you could clearly see in the flames there was like a demon face. Like it straight up looked like the devil. Like how you would imagine a demon or a devil with a pointy chin and pointy ears and like an evil grin on its face. Now it could have been that our minds were just making a face where there wasn't one, but... I don't know, who knows? Maybe there is something to all these Ouija board stories. I'm always kind of like, I don't think I believe in this Ouija board nonsense, but if that's true, then why am I afraid to play with it? I mean, I, I wouldn't want to play with it again. I have no desire. And, you know, if I don't really believe in it a little bit, why do these stories freak me out? But anyway, before I get into the Vallecas haunting, if you're enjoying this podcast, please make sure you like, subscribe, or follow, and tell your friends, tell your family, tell a coworker, anything at all really helps me out. Leave a comment or give me a review or a nice thumbs up helps. All of that is so, so much appreciated. Also, if you're not aware, I have an Instagram and TikTok where I post some funny videos and memes sometimes. I also keep you updated on my latest episodes and whatnot, so if you're on the social medias, be sure to check it out. But okay, enough of that. Let's talk about the Gutierrez-Lazaro family. So this story takes place in Spain between 1990 and 92 in the bustling city of Madrid, and in particular, we are headed to the working-class neighborhood of Vallecas. The Gutierrez-Lazaro family of Luis Marine Street consisted of mother and father, Concepcion and Maximo, and their six children, three girls and three boys. And while the whole family eventually finds themselves tormented by the supernatural, our story truly begins with the second eldest daughter, Estefania. 
Estefania was 17 years old. She was known to be very outgoing and gregarious. She had a bunch of friends and almost always had a boyfriend. She was often considered to be the mom friend of the group and also took pride in looking out for her younger siblings as well, especially her little sister, Marianella. But despite her vibrant personality and loving nature, there was one person in her family who seemed to despise her. Estefania's grandfather lived with the family. And up until his death in 1990, he lashed insult after insult towards every member of the household. But for some reason, he saved his worst behavior for Estefania. The father of Concepcion, he often berated and belittled his daughter, and the two constantly bickered about money. But this wasn't entirely the grandfather's fault. He was succumbing to the terrible disease known as Alzheimer's, and his family just learned to live with his behavior and they tried not to take it personally. However, shortly before he died, the old man told his family that he would, quote, make trouble for the family from the other side. And this was a threat that was not taken lightly. Estefania's mother, Concepcion, was what one might call superstitious. She had an intense fear of the occult and the paranormal, and a deathbed curse such as this likely felt like a very real threat. Even so, Estefania had been dabbling in the occult for quite some time. She possessed a small library of occult books, and she was known to play with the Ouija board frequently, sometimes by herself, and other times with a group of friends. The death of their grandfather likely came as a bittersweet relief to the family. However, it may have been the case that the worst of his harassment was just about to begin. Keep in mind that throughout these paranormal events, once the family has exhausted all medical and scientific explanations, they were thinking that their grandfather might very well be the spirit causing all of this turmoil. So it was March of 1990, and Estefania and Marianella walked up to the Aragon Public School of Vallecas to begin their regular school day. One of Estefania's classmates had recently died in a tragic motorcycle accident, and at some point during the day, his mourning girlfriend approached Estefania and asked her if she would help her try to contact him with the Ouija board. Taking advantage of an empty classroom, Estefania and a few friends ditched class, laid out the Ouija board on the classroom floor, and began to ask their questions. Estefania's sister guarded the door as they played, heeding her mother's advice to stay away from things like seances. And it is not known exactly who else was there that day besides Estefania, Marianella, and the girlfriend of the boy who had just died. It was one of those things where, as soon as the story blew up, everyone who had gone to that school with them wanted to say they had been there too. And it's also not known exactly what kind of questions they asked the old talking board. Obviously, they would have asked about the young man who died in the motorcycle accident, while others say Estefania also asked about her grandfather who was just recently deceased. But suddenly, a teacher named Dolores Molina barged into the classroom, and she reprimanded the students, picked the Ouija board up, and broke it in half. As she did this, the small clear glass they had been using as a makeshift planchette fell to the floor. According to the people we know were there, Marianella and the other friend, they watched as a mysterious black smoke arose from the scattered glass and entered Estefania's nose and mouth. Now, just as you should never burn a Ouija board, the philosophy behind that being its destruction merely releases whatever spirits may be trying to communicate, one should never break a Ouija board. And one must never stop playing the Ouija board without saying goodbye. Placing the planchette on goodbye, in essence, closes this portal between the living and the dead here. But over the next year, Estefania experienced a dramatic change in behavior that many attribute to playing with the Ouija board that day. 
Perhaps that dark smoke the witnesses claimed they saw was a kind of living darkness that possessed and tormented the once bright and bubbly 17-year-old girl. As usual, the paranormal activity was fairly mild at first, but it began almost immediately. At her home, she would hear footsteps walking around the hallway, whispers and odd noises coming from the bathroom. And much like the Roland Doe case, Estefania said she would hear someone walking around her bed at night. She had nightmares of dark shadow figures and hooded robes calling out to her. Estefania told her mom, it was like she was walking down a dark and foggy hallway and there were spirits, dark spirits, asking her to come with them. She became increasingly paranoid and irritable, no longer the happy social butterfly she once was. And while so far this may seem like normal teenage behavior, things became much more disturbing. She began mumbling strange things to herself, things her family said sounded like another language entirely. She would bark, growl, and spit at the siblings she once doted on, even hitting them and throwing things at them towards the end. The shadows she'd see in her dreams, the black figures in the hooded robes, they began appearing to her during her waking life as well. She was afraid to fall asleep, often staying up all through the night. Her mother said she would enter trance-like states for 15 to 20 minutes at a time, Trances where she wouldn't respond to anyone. She would just stare at nothing before bursting out in laughter for no reason at all. Her little sister, Marianella, said that one night she saw Estefania levitate above her bed. And perhaps worst of all, Estefania began suffering from debilitating seizures and visions. Maximo and Concepcion took her to numerous doctors and specialists at four different medical centers. Many of them suspected that she was suffering from epilepsy, but all medical and psychological tests were either normal or inconclusive. But given her family history, epilepsy may well have played a factor in Estefania's demise. You see, her mother, Concepcion, suffered from epilepsy her whole life. However, her condition was not debilitating and was thankfully rather benign. One doctor ended up prescribing epilepsy medication for Estefania, but the seizures and visions of shadow people persisted. What's worse was the phenomena started to extend beyond Estefania. The Gutierrez-Lazaro home became haunted by ghostly whispers, phantom footsteps, and mysterious banging noises. Things would go missing and end up in odd places, a classic feature of poltergeist cases. And the younger children were even slapped and pushed around. One evening, Concepcion heard Estefania scream from the family bathroom. She ran in to see what was going on, and with a loud bang, the bathroom door slammed shut behind her. Mother and daughter tried to open the door, but it was like something with superhuman strength was keeping the door closed. Maximo heard his wife and daughter crying, yelling, and banging on the bathroom door, saying they can't get out. But just as Maximo was about to kick the door down, it opened effortlessly, all by itself. As Estefania's behavior and the poltergeist activity continued to wreak havoc on the poor family, Estefania began making odd requests, requests referring to her imminent death. She told her parents that she was doomed to die before them, that she wanted to be buried with a photo of her and her father, these dark shadows that had been calling to her in her dream and her waking life, calling to her to join them for over a year now, were closing in on the poor 18-year-old girl. And it's between July 12th and July 14th, 1991, that things really come to a crescendo. On July 12th, Estefania began behaving like a rabid dog, lunging towards her siblings and barking, foaming at the mouth, falling to the ground in violent and painful convulsions. 
And I can't imagine how our younger siblings must have felt, how our parents must have felt, as they watched their loved ones suffer so deeply and so helplessly. Before her death, however, Estefania did have one last day of peace and tranquility. She woke up feeling almost like her old self. She went for a walk through the neighborhood with her boyfriend Pablo. She ate dinner with her family without incident. But shortly after dinner, Estefania fell into one of her fits again. She wasn't violent this time. She just held her head in her hands as she foamed at the mouth. Her parents took her to the hospital one last time. At around 11 p.m., she slipped into a coma and sometime before 3 a.m., Estefania Gutierrez-Lazaro sadly passed away. And it is interesting to note that doctors deemed her death, quote, sudden and suspicious. However, I personally couldn't find any information as to why they thought it was suspicious, so your guess is as good as mine. Did they suspect neglect or abuse, poison? It's hard to say. After Estefania's death, things at the house seemed to calm down as the family grieved for the dear sister and daughter it seemed that the paranormal activity had left with Estefania. But out of nowhere, it started up again, and it came back in full force. There was again the moving around of objects, the loud banging noises, slamming doors. Glasses would explode for no logical reason, your typical poltergeist type of behavior. Concepcion claimed a cold, invisible hand would caress her at night while she lay paralyzed in bed. Estefania's bed would be unmade and messy in the mornings. They'd hear the laugh of an elderly man, a laugh that sounded all too familiar. They came to believe, in fact, that Estefania and her grandfather's spirit were both present in the home. But perhaps they weren't the only spirits. They now, too, saw the shadow people Estefania had seen. And not just one or two, they said it was like these shadow beings were sometimes swarming all around them, effectively taking over their space. And this was eventually the last straw that would lead them to call the police in November of 1992. The younger children also said they would see a black creature crawling down the hallway sometimes, and they said it was all black and had spikes sticking out of its back. And I gotta say, if these things really happen, that is more terrifying than the actual movie I remember because, my god, I, I think I'd be messed up for life. Um, they also said one of their poor poodles was picked up and thrown across the room by some unseen force. But what's really weird is that the epicenter of all this paranormal activity seemed to be the bathroom. And it sounds like it was the only bathroom in the house. Concepcion said she would hear Estefania's voice calling out to her from the bathroom. But something inside her told her that that was not Estefania. The family would also see the black shadow figures move in and out of the bathroom, and they became so terrified, the family ultimately implemented a buddy system while going to the bathroom. They also moved all their mattresses to the living room so they could sleep in the same room together at night. And whatever had taken over their household, whether it was paranoia, collective trauma, or hysteria, or something supernatural, it was ruining their daily life. Some suggest that the activity only became so serious after Concepcion had invited a so-called paranormal investigator into the home. His name was Tristan Breaker, and without going into his entire backstory, he seems like a bit of a kook. He seems kind of like a, a grifter, just my opinion though. Apparently they got some EVPs of Estefania's voice, but what really gets me with the whole Tristan Breaker investigation is, are you ready for it? Because he has an answer for all of this. He says their bathroom was an interdimensional portal and a demon named Crapula was haunting it. A bathroom haunting a demon named Crapula or Crapula. I don't know, man. Seems, seems kind of made up. 
Or I don't know, maybe there was a demon. And when this Travis Breaker guy came around and started asking questions, the demon was just like, yeah, yeah, sure. My name is uh, Crapula. I'm a bathroom haunting demon and I'm here to torment this family and take over this house. When really he's just like some, some random spirit that got brought over from this little girl who was using a Ouija board and now he's just stuck there and he's like, yeah, sure. My name's Crapula and I haunt bathrooms. But whatever the case may be, we know things came to a head November 19th, 1992, when the cops did become involved. They too experienced paranormal phenomena, and I'm going to read the transcript of Chief Inspector Jose Negri's report here. He states, We were found amidst a rare and mysterious situation. That being seated in the company of all the family, we could hear and observe a perfectly closed cabinet door, something which we verified afterwards, open suddenly in a completely unnatural way. This started a series of suspicious events that were witnessed by the chief inspector and the three other officers present at the time. While still in a state of shock, a powerful noise came from the terrace where we could prove there was no one present. Moments later, they could hear and see that on the tablecloth on a small telephone table, there appeared a brown stain, which the chief inspector identified as drool. Side note, I take back what I said about Travis Breaker or I'm sorry, Tristan Breaker. This mysterious brown stain sounds like it just may be a crapula type of behavior. But he goes on to say, during the search of the rooms of the home, the phenomena which we have been referencing was observed. A wooden crucifix rotated and was ripped off the wall. One of the daughters picked up the crucifix from the floor and attached it behind the door to the room. Suddenly and strangely, three scratch marks appeared next to the cross. And I'm not sure whether this was before or after the police came to their home, but at some point, a framed photograph of Estefania that was hanging on the wall fell to the ground, and when Concepcion picked it up, the part where Estefania's face had been was all burnt up. And you can see the image on if you Google search on YouTube, or I'm going to post it on my Instagram. The family moved away from their residence at Ocho Luis Marine Street in 1993, and as far as we know, they went on to live a normal life after that. I did come across something that said one of their sons, I think their youngest son, said that he now knows the so-called supernatural events that tormented his family were actually to blame on his mother's unhealthy fear and paranoia surrounding the occult, that some kind of hysteria had the family in a tight grip, not ghosts or demons. Perhaps she simply couldn't handle the death of her daughter and the strange events surrounding her daughter's undiagnosable condition, and a combination of trauma, paranoia, as well as her own epilepsy and the death of her father, and her sensitive nature in general. Maybe this all contributed heavily to the events. And yet again, we have another poltergeist case where multiple children and adolescents are involved. Where a large family is cramped up together in their home, processing a death of not one, but two loved ones, and subsequently insane paranormal things start happening around them. Personally, I think I am of the opinion that the kind of activity exhibited in the Vieques case and others stems from some kind of parapsychological phenomenon, not necessarily supernatural in the way we think of it, not supernatural as in actual ghosts or demons, but I guess it could be categorized as paranormal, because it is certainly out of the norm and not something understood by science. In so many poltergeist cases, if not the majority of poltergeist cases, there are multiple people living under one roof, there's some evidence of trauma, usually there's been a death that precedes things. I don't know, perhaps all that energy under one household causes these manifestations of dark beings, and 
Maybe it can even cause objects to levitate and be thrown clear across the room. But there's always a part of me that wonders when I hear these kinds of stories. What if the Ouija board does work as a portal? What if Estefania brought something over from the other side? What if insidious dark entities are able to terrorize us? Do we have to open a door for them to enter, or can they come into our world to torment us anytime they please? Either way, I, I think I'll continue to stay away from the Ouija board personally, just in case. But if you use the Ouija board often, or have used it before and have a story you'd like to share, please feel free to leave a comment here on YouTube, or send me a message over on Instagram or TikTok. Instagram is at Paranormal Community College, and TikTok is at PCC Podcast. Next week, I'll be talking about the abduction that inspired South Park's very first episode. That is, the abduction of Whitley Strieber, as seen in the movie Communion. And then after that, I'm really excited because I'm going to be doing something new, something I haven't done before. Instead of sharing a story or a case file of some kind, I'm going to be talking about the many different theories surrounding the UFO and alien phenomenon. So stay tuned for that in a couple of weeks as well. Also, in a previous episode, I had asked if anyone would like to hear some of my own personal paranormal stories, and I got a comment on YouTube. Um, someone said, sure, she would like to hear my stories. So I decided I'm going to do that on my 50th episode. So there's still some time away. Maybe, maybe I'll get anxious and post it before then. I don't know. But until then, watch out for Crapula and the Bathroom Demons, and take care, everyone. Bye.